Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chattuck. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen concludes her two-part discussion with Margaret Blaustein on the Attachment, Self-Regulation, and Competency Treatment Framework, or ARC model, she co-developed in 2005. I know when we made some of these shifts, in, particularly in our residential program, which maybe a lot of residential programs run very behaviorally and on levels and you know some mm-hmm. and, and so they say what do you do about this behavior we say well it depends I mean it depends on a That's lot of my factors, favorite you know? answer <laughs> so because you know a kid that that you know melts down and is throwing things because their parents once again did not show up for a visit like I mean, that, that's, a, that's a normal response to a very hard thing, you know? Right. Um, so, right. you know, just really kind of having to look at, like you said, what's beneath the behavior um, and, and what's going on there rather than let's just extinguish behaviors. Right. It's really, it's understanding what the drivers of the behavior are. And the reality is a trauma-informed behavioral response is not, it's not something that goes against behavioral understanding of, you know, reinforcers and negative, you know, all the behavioral stuff that you learn. It's not antithetical to that. It just assumes that one of the reinforcers for our kids is feeling safe again in their body or not feeling in danger or getting some real valid need met. And that one of the, you know, positive strategies for addressing that is, as you say, to meet the need or to support regulation. And that when we do those things, um, we can over time prevent the need for the behavior itself. We actually believe pretty strongly, and we've seen this, um, it, particularly in residential programs we work with, that the more we use our attunement to understand where behaviors are coming from, the more we can actually start to prevent the behaviors before they happen. Because a lot of the behaviors that we see, the really dysregulated, um, distressed behaviors, the really uh, sort of challenging, need-seeking, need-fulfilling behaviors that we see, when we understand them and we proactively address them, the behaviors start to drop off. So right. a kid who's really needy and who's engaging in really toxic attention-seeking behavior, you saturate them proactively with attention, mm-hmm. and it, can, it doesn't completely get rid of the need, mm-hmm. but it can start to extinguish the behavior. Or a kid who gets really dysregulated in a particular situation, and we start to understand that situation, mm-hmm. we can catch it and address it, um, before, you know, before the need happens. So, yeah, uh, because, you know, um, it really doesn't come out of nowhere. It may seem right. like that, but or a caregiver, mm-hmm. it may seem like that, but it's because it goes so quickly, but it really doesn't mm-hmm. come out of nowhere. Um, you know, and, and like you said, mm-hmm. slowing that down and figuring that out. Yeah. So, and I and love just, I was going to piggyback on something you just said, but exactly what you just said is why that first target is so important around caregiver affect management, because as much as the behavior makes sense, it can feel like it comes out of nowhere and escalates 
you know, mm-hmm. in the matter of moments. And if I'm sitting in the room with this child, it doesn't matter how much I understand it. I am suddenly very stressed, overwhelmed, and heading towards dysregulation myself. Right. And so to be able to say to a, a parent or a caregiver, it, it, this behavior totally, I think we can probably figure it out, but boy, that sounds so hard to sit with. It mm-hmm. sounds so challenging for you in that moment. And one of the things that we really need to pay attention to is how to support you in getting through that moment. When I imagine all you want to do is run for the hills or whatever it is that the caregiver really wants to do. Yes, yes, yes. And so um, you, you said that um, you moved routines and rituals to like a kind of bigger primary domain. Um, I know some of that fits into attachment, but that is another thing before we move on to the regulation Mm -hmm. that I just love about the ARC model because I think people do not, I think maybe many people who have routines and rituals do not realize, they don't even realize how many they have. Right. (laughs) How regulating and grounding that can be and what they would feel like you know, they'd feel like when I travel and I don't have those things going on. Right. I'm not sleeping right and I'm eating too much and I'm feeling sort of a low level anxiety all the time. You know, maybe mm-hmm. that could be a tiny example, but um, so I think an you know, I don't think a lot of clinical models talk about that so much. Yeah, you know, we 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 sort of said, I and mean, just like you said, routines are one of those things you tend to notice when they're absent as opposed to when they're present, right? We don't necessarily notice those things in our life that give us a sense of rhythm and a sense of predictability. And, it, you know, we really look at routines as, as serving two functions, and one is to really support modulation and safety. It's, it's regulating to know what coming next and you know certainly we can't structure everything we wouldn't want to structure everything but having just sort of an internalized sense of rhythm in our lives can decrease some of the anxiety about Mm -hmm. what's up the road and Mm -hmm. for a child who one of their primary strategies or for a caregiver who has a Mm -hmm. primary strategy of, of vigilance towards danger as a way to keep themselves safe paying attention to the ways that rhythm and routine come into their days, into our treatment, into our programs, into our classrooms, can help to start ease some of that anxiety. So one of our core goals is to really think in everything we do about how we use routine and rhythm to support modulation. The other thing is that some degree of routine or structure can really support mastery and skill development. Mm. So when we think about targeting specific skills, so let's say I want to target um, relational connection, which is incompetency, or or executive functions, also Mm. incompetency, or Mm. affect identification, um, (coughs) excuse me, and regulation, it's not enough to just talk about it. It's thinking, what are the structures that we have that supports the active application of this? Mm-hmm. Whether it's a simple structure that we build into our therapy hour or whether it's something we support a family and thinking about how to organically bring into their home or whether it's within a residential program to think about how do we routinely check in with kids about where their bodies or their energy is at or Mm -hmm. to notice 
you know, their choices or things like that. How do we build a little bit of structure around that can really help that sense of mastery over things that are challenging, that are hard to mm-hmm. grasp. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so moving on to uh, self-regulation mm-hmm. and regulation, um, and maybe sharing a bit about a few the targets in there. I know you've alluded to to some in both competency and self-regulation, but just to sure, sure. So, so one thing I'll say is that we have actually shifted in our model from talking about self-regulation to talking about regulation, and the reason like for that, that is, <laughs> you know, for years we, we, the name of it was attachment, self-regulation, and competency, um, and as we started to refine it over time we really struggled with the word self because it felt like a pretty high bar to place on a six-year-old or an eight-year-old or a really overwhelmed 16-year-old that, you know, we all at times regulate in the context of relationship or we have, you know, particularly for younger kids, we are externally supported in regulating or we co-regulate with someone in our world. And so uh, self-regulation felt like a misnomer. So we switched to just regulation with obviously the goal over time being to increasingly support the child in developmental progression of the capacity as and when appropriate and and able to self-regulate. But but that's not sort of how we start or how we frame it from the beginning. Regulation now has um, just two core targets. We've moved the the one that used to be the third one is now incompetency. It's been renamed. It's been revamped. So we'll get there. But regulation is really about identification and modulation. So our overarching goal with regulation is really to support the child or young person in um, awareness of internal experience, really being able to reflect and be curious about what's happening inside of them. So, you know, how do I name what is happening to me, my feelings or what's happening in my body or my behaviors? What is it? How would I label it? How do I know it's happening? What is it connected to, you know, across elements of my experience? And where does it come from? So it's really building that sort of curiosity about self that allows us to better pay attention to and know something about our own experience. And then intertwined with that, the second target modulation is really about helping kids build you know, really the internal and external resources that are needed to manage that experience. And we talk about our goal is twofold. One is to help kids be comfortable in their bodies. And the second is to help them be effective in their world. Mm -hmm. And both of those goals matter. Mm -hmm. So we have kids who, you know, they're reasonably comfortable in their bodies because they've totally shut down their experience and they don't feel anything and they've found all sorts of strategies to numb themselves out or whatever it is that they're doing, but that's not helping them navigate their worlds effectively. And it's it's a tricky thing to sort of come to a place where you have both. Right. The ability to be powerful and the ability to tolerate the range of sensations that you have inside of you. So that's regulation. And again, you know, it's one of these where um, there's so many different ways to get there because there's so many different ways that kids 
are dysregulated. We have some kids who just shut down completely. We have some kids who are always at that higher level of arousal who operate from a really hyper aroused place. We have kids who really fluctuate and flow up and down. So really, again, uh, it, it sort of starts with thinking about where is this child now? In what ways is this child currently attempting to manage their experience? What does their presentation tell us about where their challenges are with both awareness and with physiological regulation? And how do we best support that? Um, and we also really emphasize here, just as a sort of nod to attachment, which I know is a primary primary interest and focus here, that one of the most critical resources that we see a child is having is external support and relationships. So not just are we teaching this child skills, right? Are we doing like the drilling in the classic regulation skills that a child is going to use, but what are we putting into place in the environment and around the child to support the use of those skills? Because the time that is hardest to use a skill is the moment that you most need it. And so that expectation that we're going to teach a child a bunch of regulation skills and then expect them to independently use those skills in a moment where they're, right. you know, how many parents say they never, how many parents say he gets upset but he never uses the thing they teach in therapy or counting to ten or whatever, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's exactly we like to actually really predict that both for parents and for staff and programs. Like we're gonna work on this stuff when this child is calm, but who this child is when upset there's going to be a different part of the brain online and I have no expectation that he's going to use this skill in that moment. So we have to think realistically about sort of state-based application um, of skills and what, what does it look like here? I mean, of course we're going to continue to practice it and we're going to also just really engage the body in a way that the child starts to gain that experience viscerally of what it feels like to have a regulated, organized system outside of those moments of distress does not, but it doesn't mean it's going to necessarily translate right away into right. those moments of distress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then the the C, moving on to the C. The C, yes. <laughs> so, can I reveal something um, about the C? Um, you know, um, we talked about, you know, co-regulation and let's call this regulation and not self-regulation, um, and, and, you know, all of that. And I think though, my experience in, in ARC was that you can never think too much about those things, you know, co-regulation and attachment and connection, and we need another brain to regulate our brain sometimes, all of that. Mm -hmm. But I guess the, when I got to the C for me, it's like, well, we can't totally forget some, like that, like eventually in our life, there's not going to be somebody there to do that. And, and you know, what, what and, and I thought, you know, um, this is a, maybe a weaker area in how I was thinking, um, not just in skill-based competency, but even all of the things that you have in the book, um, the worksheets just about building your personal shield and different things like like apart from all of this trauma treatment and I'm a foster child and I'm this, like what do I even like? Who am I? You know, um, that really uh, impacted me to be, 
not that I, of course, wasn't considering it, but I, I needed to consider it more heavily. So that's just a little vulnerability yeah. about the, the, <laughs> that part in my own process. I, I actually, I love, I love hearing that. And I think it's because, you know, the C stands for competency, just for if yes. people are less familiar anyway. with the model. And um, it, it just, for me, feels so vital to hold that we're working with a whole child. And I think our field really pushes us it really does. Our field pushes us to focus on pathology reduction, that that is the goal of treatment is pathology reduction. And that's not what we see the goal of treatment as with ARC. With ARC, we see it as resilience building, that that we are really focused on healthy developmental capacities. And, you know, ARC really has its origins and it's relevant to this, this domain, it's relevant to all of them, but ARC really has its origins in four sort of core literatures or areas, and one is trauma, and one is attachment, and one is normative development, and one is resilience. And it feels like to do this work with this population, you need to think about all four of those, mm-hmm. right? How mm-hmm. does trauma impact normative development and developmental process? And how does the attachment world impact developmental process? And once we know the ways that those things impact and influence developmental capacities, which developmental capacities do we also know are really critical to health and growth? And as you said, being able to navigate the world. Um, and, and in many ways, we see that as, you know, it's a much longer conversation. But when we think about trauma experience integration, for us, all of these targets work in concert in service of what we see as the ultimate goal, which is the ability to engage in present life in a goal-oriented way in service of self-identified goals, right? To be able to be in the world agentically and purposefully, again, that grows developmentally, obviously, over time, um, but holding that life is not ideally just about survival, right? It's about so much more than that. So the, the C for us has three core targets. One is relational connection, uh, which many eons ago was named expression and was completely wrong and didn't capture what we wanted it to capture. So we renamed it, reworked it, and moved it to competency. Uh, less relevant for people who aren't familiar, but in case there are people who wonder where expression went, um, <laughs> that's where it went. So relational connection is really about how we support the child in building both the skill and the tolerance for engaging in connection with others. Uh, and and it, it's one that targets not just the child, but the resources around the child, but also really looks at the child's own history of relationships and their goals and relationships and the really multifaceted things that can interfere with being able to enter into, tolerate, and sustain connection with others. Mm-hmm. Um, the second core target in that domain is executive functions. It's really about how we bring our awareness of choices into there, how we help kids, you know, from the beginning develop, again, I'll use the word agency, but a sense of feeling like they have some power in their world. And then the skills that let them exert that power, um, paying attention to the fact that what gets in the way for so many kids of being able to make choices is they're in a survival state and you don't have choices when you're in a survival state. So we have to sort of pay attention to both of those things. 
And then the one which you referenced, you know, in your comment, self and identity is really critical, how we hold the whole child and really help kids explore who they are in multiple ways. And, you know, it's, it's, I'll have people say to me, oh, well, we never get to the competency goals because we're spending so much time on attachment and regulation. And I say, boy, I can't even start treatment without paying attention to the competency goals because how do you enter into relationship with this whole child without thinking about relationship, choice, and empowerment and self and identity? Right. And sort of what their history of relationships, like competency is in the room from day one in in treatment. We just have to sort of tune into the ways that it influences all of these other pieces of work that we're doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've been thinking about this, the identity piece a lot lately as I've been thinking harder um, about transracial adoption and what Uh children of color, people of color are experiencing and, you know, um, not trying to not conflate that with other things. Like, oh, no, that's just a trauma reaction and they're hypervigilant. Like, that didn't really happen. Like, Mm -hmm. nobody really looked at them that, you know, and and just, like, being really aware of that. And I know... um, culture and things like that are always part of of the model any comments about that i'm, I'm watching the time and i opened a big uh, box there but yeah, i mean it's such a but it's such a it's such a good example what you just gave of why identity has to be part of the work that we do and in every level right identity is in part about the lens we have for ourselves but that lens is so deeply and heavily influenced by the lens that other people have how do other people see us what are the messages we've been given about who we are and the messages that we're given don't just come from our family right they that's where they come from probably first in our world but they come from society around us and when we think about let's say youth of color growing up in this country and the messages they're given about their worth and their value and their capacities and what they, you know, making air quotes, deserve from systems of care, Mm -hmm. um, that has to profoundly impact the ability, not just your sense of self and identity, right, but how you regulate, how you understand your own affect, the labels you put on your affect, or for a caregiver, your own affect management, you know, if you're in a space where you're rageful about something and someone says, well, how do you get less rageful without first saying, it makes so much sense that you are filled with rage at the way you, your child, your family have been treated. Of course you're rageful, mm-hmm. right? And so what do we do to support that? You, you can't address one without holding the other, right? Mm-hmm. And so that sense of identity and self and relationships and how they've influenced us and all of that comes in in every way that we address everything else so it's when we teach the targets we always teach them as if they're these separate things right but the reality is that's not what they are and that's not what the work is like we're often doing six things simultaneously that's that's inevitable to teach a curriculum you have to do that but you know that that it's not it's not separated so easily and cleanly right <laughs> but i do think the good thing about teaching that way is that it's it's giving us at least a bit of a checklist or a more comprehensive mm-hmm. way to think that we're not forgetting a big you know piece of something 
Yeah, and that's actually one of the things I suggest that people do when they're first either starting to think about the framework itself or think about the work is use one of our checklists and just track over time in one client or a couple clients, what are you already doing? And to notice where you tend to go and perhaps where you tend to not go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Well, I know we are running out of time, but I uh, just think your model is so wonderful and helpful. And I'm so grateful that you took time out of your busy life to, to be here and share about it. Um, I know that you had another edition of the book come out in 2018. Um, yes. And, but also like training or ha- I know you have a, a nice website for ARC and um, how, how, how can people learn more? How can they just like gobble up ARC? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that the best routes, one is obviously the book is really sort of the, the very large uh, repository of information about the framework. <laughs> uh, and so it's a, it's a, if you really want to, you know, really go in depth and understand the concepts, that's the place to go. Uh, It's called Treating Traumatic Stress in Children and Adolescents, and Christine Kinneberg and I are the authors of that. Uh, And and our website, uh, arcframework.org, is really the best sort of source to start. We have a mailing list that people can join. We have a lot of information. We have information for uh, providers, but we also have information for, for caregivers, and we have information for youth as it's just really an entry into understanding what ARC is. And that's a really nice place to to get some basic information. And I know you also now have ARC Reflections, which is almost um, sort of like a foster parent or caregiver training specific to that. Yeah. Yes. We spent the last couple of years working with the Casey Foundation to develop ARC Reflections, which is a more structured curriculum. So it's a foster parent or resource caregiver skill building curriculum uh, that is nine weeks. I'm trying to remember. It's a nine session (laughs) curriculum, Uh, but it is freely available. It's an open domain resource and uh, it's linked off of our website, uh, but you can download it from the Casey Foundation website and it's got uh, PowerPoint slides and a facilitator guide and tons of handouts and resources for resource caregivers. And uh, it's, it's a pretty hefty, it's a nice resource and it can be used, I think it can be adapted for uh, primary caregivers as well. Yes, yes. All right. Well, thank you so much. And, um, you know, if somebody wanted to actually go to a training, those are on the website too, or those? Those will be on the website. Yep. We don't have one scheduled right now. We're hoping to get one up there very soon. So the website is the best resource for that. Good. All right. Well, thank you so, so much. Sure. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity. Yes. It's been great talking. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training, opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory. Attachment Theory in Action.